What's happening? Oh, I'm I'm looking at my notes. Oh, I didn't take notes. You didn't take notes? Oh I, my god, I, I have I, like six pages. I should notes. take notes more often. Um, I'm stupid. Because like I said, the words are not coming to me anymore. And the older I get, the more I go like... The, I, you know what always happens is I always take a bunch of notes at the end of the year. I have like I have a lot of notes on mm. Disco Elysium and Life yeah. is Strange 2 and whatever. But then in January, I'm like, oh, I'll remember this come <laughs> December. Easy. And then I look at my notes for Resident Evil and it's like corridors lots of graphics <laughs> like there's nothing going on in those notes but you know what the thing i you know what the thing i actually regret notes wise that i wish i took better notes was just straight character names yeah because video games don't have a good imdb database absolutely so i had this moment where i was like looking at uh mutazione characters and was like i know what they all look like but i don't actually know their names and i'm trying to think about this this yeah. game that i really liked and then not knowing the characters to associate events to Okay. Hello, everyone. It is January 2020. My name is Raphael Bennett, and I'm here with the lovely Olivia Bouchard. Hello. And uh, we're going to have our annual our annual tradition of talking about the very best games of the year. It's the best time of the year. It is the best time of the year. It is the thing I look forward to. Yeah, just two uh, quick thing before we get into the games proper. Uh, first thing is that we're going to have spoilers for about every game that was ever released, ever. And we're not going to call them out before they're spoiled. So if they're still a game, you're sensitive about spoilers. Just don't listen or do listen anyway. It's not worth it. Can you imagine how many... I have a lot of friends who didn't play Red Dead Redemption 2. And I think if they knew the twist of Red Dead Redemption 2... Which was? Well, just that, that he's dealing with TB and the end of his life. Oh. That I think that game becomes more interesting with the spoiler in mind. I think more people should more people should embrace spoilers. Yeah, probably. I do agree more people should embrace spoilers. I think Red Dead Redemption was number five on our list last year. That sounds right. I think so, it was a compromise spot. Yeah, it was a compromise spot. I didn't like that game that much. And um, we should, I, I should have introed how we do those things, but we're very much inspired by the giant bomb. And because we think arguing about game may take us to new place uh, in talking about them and may... Uh, surface some argument that we wouldn't talk about if we didn't argue about them so we're gonna argue for a top 10 of the best game release in the year uh yeah passion passion through argument yeah is passion the, the through idea. argument and uh, you have to know also it's a thing we did for many many years also at cast of couch and uh we were with uh, andrew and uh, hannah at the time and we miss them we miss on them. the podcast we still see them in we still see them as human beings yeah but we miss them for these deliberations. Yeah, they're not as crazy as us and they don't play every game that comes out of You might say they're smarter than us. Yeah, yeah. they're probably smarter than us. And uh, one last quick note is that uh, we kind of have weird rules about early access game. So last year uh, we talked about Citizen Spire, uh, if it were a 2019 game. So we're not going to talk about it this year. I don't know. I know you well, played a lot. We're good. We're going to talk about it okay. but we're not going to consider it okay you you actually kind of saved me from myself because if slay the spire had been up for consideration this year it would have wrecked everything about the way i have okay thought about um my top games of the year so the thing last year is that it was nearly complete last year like it was an update away from being complete they said they would release in january so the official uh, release was in january this year so like they didn't add nothing special 
on the 1.0 that would change what I would have thought about that game. So I felt it was uh, to be argued last year. On the other hand, there's um, multiple early access game I played this year that we're not going to argue about and, and just want to call them out because maybe they're going to come back next year and I don't want you to think that I haven't played them. I'm thinking a game like Hades, uh, which is the new Super Giant game, uh, is probably going to be 1.0 next year. I'm thinking also about Satisfactory, which I like a lot, which we're going to talk about next year. I, I don't know if you would like that game, but it would be cool to play. You should tell me if I need to play Satisfactory before this time next year. I have a good 11 months to play Satisfactory. Yeah. Tell me if I need to do it. I would love us to try to play multiplayer Satisfactory for a while, mm -hmm. but time is complicated. Yeah. Um, I said Hades and Satisfactory. Dreams? Dreams, yeah. Dreams, play, maybe next year? I played Dreams. Uh, it's in February this year. Uh, yeah. I bought it and never launched it. So I'm excited to get the 1.0. <laughs> I really like that thing. And I'm going to say it on the podcast, whatever. I would really love to port a game about on PS4 using Dreams. That would be so cool. Just for the sake of it. Uh, which is totally doable with what I've tried with the tools. Oh my gosh, we need to talk about this more. I'm very excited about this idea. We'll see. So early access game, maybe I'm forgetting some, but like we're probably going to talk about them next year. There's no early access this year that I felt was complete and took my year uh, enough to talk about it in the top 10 of this year. Housekeeping stuff aside, the basic structure of these for anyone who's listening who hasn't listened to them before, what we're going to start with is listing, going through every single game that we think is uh, noteworthy of discussion uh, in an alphabetical order. After that, we are going to arrange those games uh, into a list of 10 and then rank them uh, in order. And that is that is basically, that is the structure of our next many hours. And, you know, I, I try to write down little notes that I may or may not remember as they come up, uh, just to contextualize the year a little bit. I felt like this year, it, the industry felt very mature this year. And I don't mean that in a, you know, ESRB rating mature. I felt like it was a year of ripe games, like a lot of, a lot of stuff that felt very complete and well-written and thoughtful. I didn't feel like for as as messy as some games were i felt like this was a year where i i had a lot less embarrassment of i had i have to do a lot less excusing of the games that i love this year if that makes sense like there was no metal gear solid 5 where i had to sort of say oh well you just ignore xyz i mean there's kind of one of those okay there's one of those very specifically <laughs> metal gear solid 5 was a very bad example to choose but yeah, I think my point I, still I do stands. see what you're, and I also feel like it's the end of the generation. This year we're gonna have the new console. So last year, it felt like accomplishing some ideas that were started at the beginning of the generation, and uh, maybe getting the best of those ideas. The other thing I want to mention about this whole process that I've been sort of thinking about, and I hesitated to bring it up just because it seems like it's pure rambling. But I was thinking a lot about the way that I structure top ten lists, and thinking how over the past three years and very. Specifically since 2016, I feel like the way I have thought about my list of 10 best games has changed from being a canon of the games that need to last 20 years from now and doing a better job of putting games on my list that are relevant this year. And that an example of that is in 2017 when I put Wolfenstein 2 on my list. It felt like Wolfenstein 2 was a 2017 game for me and it was very important for that year. And that is my ramble of this moment. I'm ready to go through the list. Let's do it. Okay. Oh, I have my notes completely out of order here. Shall we start? Yeah. Okay. Anthem is the very first game on our list. Alphabetical order <laughs> dictates that Anthem will be number one. And um, it's kind of a great game to start because it's the opposite of everything we just said, praising the industry. Uh, in fact, this game is the poison part of the mature industry. This is a games as service ass game. 
to me feels, hold on, oh my gosh, one more time. I love video games. I'm not trying to be mean for the sake of being mean. I'm We're articulating them because it's worth talking about games and being critical of games. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of very talented people who worked on Anthem, but the video game Anthem feels soulless. It feels like a game that's designed by committee. Even if that is not the case, this is a game that feels like someone was appealing to someone else and therefore they undermined their audience and basic structures absolutely and also like it's worth saying like it's a game that like uh taps in every trends that are happening right now in video games but also like it kind of does them worse than everybody everybody else is doing so like it ends up being a game that i don't want to say doesn't need to exist because no none of these games really need to exist in uh in the absolute but like it it's a game that like uh, doesn't have an audience at all because like you could play Destiny instead or Borderlands instead and they're basically the same game but much better. It was hard for me to feel uh, who that game was for, who that game was made for when I was playing it because you don't see the Bioware in it anymore and you don't see uh, the, the, the good stuff about those grinding service game that exists. What I will say, the one thing that I really love about Anthem And everybody knows that the flying is very good. It's got a big open space and the flying is relatively well put together and it's fun. But I do think the, the, not the music, but the sound effects in Anthem I love. Uh And I I feel like there was a moment where you're jumping off the cliff um, and you're powering your thrusters. And it was just the sound of the thrusters going off that I kept over and over again. I would just jump off cliffs just to hear the engine kind of rev in your suit. That's the thing I really like about Anthem. Yeah, that's, that's one thing. Uh, I just want to add a little thing about Anthem is that you finished it. I did. I finished it. We have been like uh, criticizing this game for being no good and not important and whatever. And we're both stupid enough to finish it. <laughs> uh, I just, just a little thing. Just wanted to say that. All right. So Anthem not being considered for one of the best games of the year. Nope. Uh, tell me about Ape Out. You haven't played? I have not played it. Okay. Ape Out is uh, basically it's very similar to an Outline Miami where you play an ape. That is out and trying to escape from uh, a facility and you're killing people uh, while doing that. It has a very cool style uh, that looks like a solid bass credit intro from uh, one of those Hitchcock movies. The best thing about it is that it has a procedural soundtrack that is uh, a lot of drum and bass that will play that will play as you kill people and whatever. And if you throw somebody, it's going to be the same ball. If you punch somebody in the face, it's going to be uh, more like the drum beat that will be louder and stuff like that. And that works perfectly. And the style is very cool. That said, uh, I don't like the game at all. Oh, really? Uh, I don't think it's good at all. Like it plays like a, it plays like Outline Miami without any of the stress and the pressure that the first Outline Miami has. And it kind of pissed me off because the more I play Outline Miami type game, the more I think the first Outline Miami was just like luck because they don't seem to understand. Like it's, it's also published by Devolver and Online Miami 2 made me think that the dev didn't understand what was great about their game. And then seeing that game that is also trying to be Online Miami and there's also a samurai game this year that I haven't played that was also trying to be like Online Miami and it's, they don't get what I liked about that game and it feels like nobody got 
what Outline Miami was about for me. So I'm looking back. I don't like Outline Miami as much, which is very disappointing. No, no, no. Hold on. Outline Miami still. You don't. You don't have to lose your appreciation for the original just because the new games are not. Uh, yeah, but like cutting it. It feels like the dev of Outline Miami were just lucky and didn't think the same thing I was thinking about their game. Yeah, you're saying it undermines the cleverness of the original. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's move on to Apex Legends. I have very little to say about Apex Legends other than to say that it. It's solidified for me that I don't actually like Battle Royale games. Mm. Um, I, I think that Respawn is a very talented studio. I think that the art works pretty well here. I like the way their guns feel, but it did just make me go, oh, I really want Titanfall 3, and it's too bad that this is the game that took off in such a big way. Yeah, so pretty much one of the most important games of the year were not thinking about it as a top 10 game uh, that's a very us choice one thing I'm gonna say about Apex Legend though is that I really like the music when you when you're deployed the music that like fits with you like falling on your jetpack is cool I really like that I could do that all day but the rest of the game I don't care about I don't even remember it I should I should go back and listen to just the beginning of an Apex Legends it, round it's really good Assemble with Care is the new game by us too uh, this is part of well, this is our first Apple Arcade game um, of our discussion, which I also should have mentioned up at the top. Apple Arcade, I still think it's the best console launch in terms of breadth we've yeah. ever had. It was very surprising, but it's also no game. Uh, I mean, it has game with substance for sure, but like no game that's going to last you more than an hour or two hours. No games that are going to last you more than an hour or two hours. I mean, no. Hold on, this is, this no, is no, no, foreshadowing no. to... I mean, obviously it's... There's a lot of wordy game in the Apple Arcade. A lot of them are quitting. Yeah, many of them are. Yeah, but many, many of them, them not all of them. I, I, I was stupid, sorry. Um, <laughs> and I feel you cannot appreciate most of them if you don't have the Apple TV. This is true. I think the Apple TV is a big part of um, right. Apple TV or, um, or a laptop to play these things on. Obviously, sure. because a lot of them you can play on phone, but you should play... It has this weird uh, ecosystem problem where... Some of them you need to play on your phone and some of them you need to play on your TV and you have to look yourself which one is best for you. Yeah, which. if you're going in blind, it's impossible to know yeah. where I'm supposed to play this game. Um, anyway, so Assemble with Care follows the story of uh, a young woman named Maria who is a fish out of water in a new town. Uh, it's definitely set during the 90s because she is a mechanic and the process of the game is her um, basically meeting new people and them coming to her with problems um, with their electronics, but it turns out when she fixes one of her, their electronics, she's also maybe helping them fix themselves as people. It's aggressively sweet. I brought up the fact that it's 90s because all of the electronics are very rudimentary, which is why having you take them apart and put them back together makes a lot of sense. It's not when you take apart a Game Boy at some point, and a Game Boy has six pieces of electron of silicone stuck inside it. She's definitely not taking apart an iPhone, which is thousands of you know intricate right. small details. So I think in that respect, I like the idea of it using older technology as a means. Like sometimes you'd be taking apart an old camera. Um, I mentioned a Game Boy. Small things like that. I, I ultimately think that the problem with Assemble with Gear is that it doesn't have um, it doesn't have very much bite. Like it just sort of it's just, it's very sweet, and I think the mechanic is very therapeutic. But a lot of the time, like I, I felt like I wasn't propelled from one thing to another that's where i'm at with it okay so we're not going to talk about this part of that no either. did you play it at all i played maybe two three three uh three fixing things i fixed three things so oh, okay so early going in it. yeah early going next up is astrologaster did you play astrologaster i did play astrologaster i didn't finish it I feel uh, astrologaster is a game where you play an astrologaster which is basically a dude that look at the star to 
tell people what they should do next in their life. And it plays a little like a, a visual novel where you're just choosing, you're just making choice for people that are asking you for tips in life. The best thing about Astrologaster is the presentation. A lot of it comes from the fact that the introduction of new character are musicals. It's it's a 16th century musical comedy about a astrologaster who's pretend who's giving people doctor advice and yeah. sending them on their way with the worst possible advice. It's really funny. It's very funny. Yeah. It's very funny. Uh, the the problem I had with it is that it doesn't have enough substance in the gameplay. Like I felt bored with it after an hour, and the game's longer than that. And but the, the first. 15 minutes you play with it, it's just like, I had this big smile on my face, it's just perfect, because the presentation's perfect, and it knows, like, the tone uh, of the music is pitch perfect. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I felt the exact same way, it was basically just me bouncing off of the, the gameplay part of it is the, the shallow end of that game. Right. But tell me about Baba Is You. I feel like Baba Is You is worth arguing in the top 10, though. Is it? Okay, Babo is, is You. Come, yeah, you know what? I agree. Babo is You is one of the better, one of the best games of the year. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's put a little asterisk on Baba is You. So maybe we talk about it later. Birds of Passage. You played Birds of Passage, yeah? I did. Okay. Uh, so Birds of Passage, I actually think you're the one who probably told me to play this game. Yeah. Uh, so it is an itch.io game by Space Backyard. I didn't realize that it is a vertical slice of a game coming in 2020. I didn't realize either. No. Um, it's very good, though. It's very good. Also, uh, a simple visual novel, which is not me uh, criticizing the game. I don't have anything against a visual novel. You're you're a you are the ghost of a person, sort of caught in the liminal space, right, of the world. So there was a a catastrophe. I think it was an earthquake, and you are you are in the middle of the night, being whisked away by taxi cabs, having conversations with these taxi cabs. Yes, yeah, so you're being whisk, whisked away by these taxi cabs and you're telling them sort of the story of your life, waiting to find the right person to hear your tale to sort of set you free. Uh, and the really interesting thing about it is that you are doing this visual novel thing, but as you say, as you say the correct dialogue options, the camera sort of rotates until until you're, you've correctly done a 360. But it's very poetic and small and I I liked it a lot. Like I thought the, I thought the mood was very affecting for an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Uh, you saying that uh, it might be a bigger project next year makes me very eager to see what that dev do next. Yeah, that's super exciting. Oh, and this is actually a game I took a lot of notes on. I didn't realize that. I'm mm-hmm. scrolling along here. I'll, let me let me read through my notes and see if there's anything. So I have a quote from the game. Uh, I'm a bird of passage that desperately tries to migrate between two worlds and got stuck in one. ADR of rain is sufficiently high production and immersive. Well, my notes are not very detailed here. You can tell it's something I played earlier <laughs> in the year. I do like that line, though. Okay, so uh, a game I played this year uh, is The Blackout Club, and this is by the studio Question, and this is the, the team that made The Magic Circle. Um, this is a present-day co-op survival multiplayer game. Video game genres are so bad. Oh my gosh. That this was is... a very big success though, I think. The Blackout Club. Uh, yeah, people seem to really like it. I I was fairly put off by it um, once I got into the meat of the game. The Blackout Club's first 25 minutes are outstanding. Like The tutorialization of the game, it feels it's very Bioshocky. Like It's a very affecting mood. The premise of the game is basically that there are a bunch of kids and at nighttime the parents get possessed. So the kids are trying to solve the, the 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 situation. They're trying to figure out what is going on. And so there's a lot of like invisible forces around you and odd audio cues. 
Uh, mechanically, there's a really interesting thing when you finish a level, the game will sort of prompt you to engage with its lore, and the devs will record... They, they kind of like record audio clips that they're regurgitating back at you, so it's being read by a different person occasionally okay. when you are... And, and I'm not 100% sure because I didn't play too, too much of it, but I got the impression that the devs could go into your game and overlay commentary on your game if you allowed them to. And that's such a cool idea. The The problem is that in the actual meat of the game is a lot of you going into an area, collecting some resources, depositing resources, going back into an area. You know, and it's a lot of like... Um, it's a lot of stealth that is fine but not great. And it was, just wasn't something that kept me hyper-engaged, but I think a lot of the ideas are really interesting in the Blackout Club. That's a Yeah, that's about it. Too much survival mechanics. Too much survival mechanics. Yeah, and I really wanted to know the mystery, but it didn't... It felt like once I had finished that initial info dump, it, I didn't get the impression that more was coming. Like, you kind of look up what the loop is online, and it seemed like the loop was a lot of repeating levels. Uh, yeah, that's all that I have to say about that. Uh, another game that I played this year is... The Blair Witch by Blooper Team or Bluebird Team. It's it's quite awful. That's really disappointing to me. Yeah, they they did they didn't seem to know exactly what they were doing with the Blair Witch. Like this is the main um like it has a combat mechanic, which is a weird thing for the Blair Witch game to, or for a Blair Witch game to have. And the combat mechanic is Alan Wake. So you're you're pointing your flashlight at spooky ghosts that are around you and holding it on them long enough for them to like pop and disappear. And you, the other main thing that you're doing is following the advice of your dog, and your dog behaves worse than the last guardian. So it's a lot of like trying to engage with your dog, and where is your dog trying to go? And your dog is caught in a weird animation right now, and so you're trying to unstick your dog so that you can know where you're going. Yeah, it's it's quite awful. That's that's about it. I I played maybe half of it, and then was mad at myself for playing half of it. That's unsearchable. Let me see if I have any other notes here. Misses the point of material. <laughs> That is about it. Okay. That's about all of the interest here. So the next game we have is Bloodstein Ritual of the Night, which is uh, the Kickstarter uh, that was supposed to be a spiritual sequel to Symphony of the Night, that Castlevania, that Castlevania game that everybody loves, I think, uh, made by Koji Garoshi. And um, yeah, that's it. Did you finish this? I didn't finish it. I played quite a lot of it, more than halfway. I did get the worst ending you could get. Uh, in the game, which is the first time you see the, the boss, you can fight the, the, the last boss and then it tells you game over instead of having a real ending. Um, I don't love it and I feel like a big part of me not loving that game is that it it looks like crap. I think that game looks really bad in a way that's kind of surprising and it doesn't do anything new with the Metroidvania genre in a way like when uh, Hollow Knight or Hurry exist, I don't understand why people would go to that game instead of those two, let's say. That being said, one thing I really like about that game is that it just goes out out crazy sometimes. Like there's there's hundreds of spells that you can play with. There's uh, you're going to be fighting like dogs and, and uh, people with guitars uh, throwing fire in uh, Mad Max style uh, and you're going to be fighting um, you know, Kickstarter backers and stuff like that. And like, it kind of gets, by the end of the game, when you're 70% done with the castle, the game kind of become absurd in how many spells you have and how overpowered you can get and how many like cooking mechanics there's and like upgrade mechanics that you can exploit in many way. Uh, I didn't have 
that much fun with it but like i respect a game that is ready to be broken that way so like i don't hate it i just don't understand why how do you feel about the control of this game it's somewhat sloppy but not worse than uh, castlevania is but like you know again in a world where hori and hollow knight exists why you would play that one i'm i'm not sure because i also i think we both just to disclose it maybe you already said this but we did both back this game right yeah I, yeah, I also didn't, I didn't play very much. I just guess it just kind of came out at a weird time and then it had that save bug thing and then I waited and then it kind of fell off for me. Um, it did feel, in my memory, Castlevania games are tight like a Mario. They're not. Okay, I guess they're not. But in my head, those DS ones are really tight. And then this felt to me like playing the Donkey Kong Country version of Castlevania. Um, it wasn't bad. I just... I, I felt like it was kind of slow, just the movement. It is kind of slow. And one thing I really, really don't like about the game is that there's a lot of menuing because, like, as I'm saying, there's ton of spells and stuff like that. But later in the game, you get spells that are mobility spells that are that goes into the same slot as attack spells. So you're always in menus changing which spells you need just because there's a door that you need a specific spells to to use to open and that gets that get bugged down like that bugs the game down a lot but it's not a big issue but like it adds to the fact that it's not i don't know in the metroidvania genre these days i don't think it pops out the way other do but yeah that's yeah very much my impression as well uh tell me a little bit about borderlands 3 i'm gonna sound really stupid when i'm gonna say that but i think borderlands 3 is better than it has any right to be okay uh, hey this is a this is a hot take you're like here. I, i'm not gonna um, i'm not gonna argue against uh, for it in a top 10 obviously because but like it exists in the same realms as a destiny and a, as an anthem and it's obviously not as good as a destiny i think like the art is not as good the shooting doesn't feel as tight that being said it doesn't feel like work like Destiny does. Like it doesn't have all those uh, daily quests and all that stuff. There is end game content, there is a raid and all that stuff. But it feels like a game that can go at your own pace that you can play as much as you want. And it has like ton, and I mean really ton of content in a way Destiny didn't have when it released. So it feels like the Big Mac if Destiny is the fancy burger in a way. Like you can buy that game, it's gonna last you 50 hours, it's gonna be stupid, it's gonna be empty calories, but like it's gonna be just fun enough when you're gonna play it. And also the gun randomization in that game is crazier than anything in Destiny. So you could end up with a, I don't know, like a full auto sniper that shoots rocket and stuff like that. Like weird stuff that's never gonna happen in Destiny. And sometimes because of it, the game just breaks. Like for five level, the game is way too easy because you got a gun that like shoots lightning everywhere and kill everything. And, three seconds and that's kind of fun like it's fun that the game is ready to break but like it's not something special is it's like every other borderlands that existed and i just want to say one last thing the writing is as terrible as everybody say but it's not the worst that it like it's not insulting it's just really bad it's cringy but like it's not insulting the way a division is or like it it's inoffensive and i i feel okay. it, i i feel it's weird earring it's the worst writing ever made in a video game because like ubisoft exists and they make very insulting game for me uh whereas this is like it tries to be woke sometime and it doesn't succeed or whatever it's it's just cringe inducing but like it's never really insulting okay so, that's interesting yeah i 
I have um, zero interest no, in playing this game. <laughs> but like, I like loot game, and that game has interesting loot, and that's enough for me. But like, I, it does feel like I'm, I shouldn't do so. I should do something else when I'm playing it. It's a podcast game. Yeah, it's a podcast game. Uh, Tell me, Olivier, is Remedy's newest game, Control, one of the best games of the year. I'm not gonna argue for it. I like Control more than you do. Uh, I don't think it's a top 10 game. I think that's a little crazy. I think what Control is really, it's a AAA shooter with a little edge, with a little more personality than other AAA shooter on the market. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it, it, it pops that that much. Uh, I, I don't think it's as great as a Bioshock of something like this, but in the genre that is very where all game looks kind of the same, this one pops out a little just because it has a style that is more interesting than most shooters and it has like a flow to the combat that is a little more interesting than most shooters, but it's just like it's a little more than your typical AAA shooter. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, Control for me is this year's spider-man ps4 where like i think it's a good game it's a well-made game i liked it i i liked it um i'm a little bit perplexed by the rave critical response and and yeah me too and audience response everybody seems to love this game and i i don't begrudge anyone that people can enjoy it Uh, it's again i'm not trying to sound super negative about it i do think the response though feels out of whack with the what's actually going on in the game and for me it really comes down to the the shooting being really repetitive um it's very pretty, though. It's very. Um, it's very pretty, and I really like. I, I know you didn't uh, like the architecture that much, but I do think they do really well by architecture. You have seen already in video game, like in Half Life and all that stuff. There are this uh, brutalist ar- architecture, but I think they do really well with it. I mean, I think the aesthetic is very good in the game. Yeah. The general like look and trimmings and trap when you walk into a new area and it slams the text yeah. across the field and like this is the zone you're in. I was hoping for a little bit more variety from the brutalism. Like, I was expecting there to be a, a bit more going on. And, and at least, maybe it, for me, it might have even been fixed if the enemies had more variety. Or if there was something different. Yeah, the, like, the, a lot of the zones are kind of the same thing. Over the over enemy again. variety is really bad. And I do agree, a lot of the zones look the same. But I feel... I don't know. I feel it could have looked boring and it didn't for me. Uh, which is a success by itself. But, like, it's not a grand success. It's just... Oh, this is more in- interesting than most game I play, but not by that much. Did you engage with the all of the text-based narrative? I did. I did, did. Uh, read the, all the, the collectible I could find. Because that's another thing that people seem to adore about this game, and I liked it, but I did feel like I had a lot of the time where I was thinking there's got to be a better way to present this information. Like, there's got to be a better uh, way than just sitting there and reading like, this stuff. Ju- just the thing I'm going to say, like, uh, when you're watching a movie on a projector, you can play with a projector and the movie still keeps playing and, like, nice touches like this. Yeah. That game has a lot of nice touches when you fight, like, uh, in an office and, like, everything is destroyed at the end. It looks kind of good and, like, you, you feel like your abilities do damage to the world also, uh, which... It's good stuff, just nothing particularly remarkable. There, that is control. I, I thought it might come onto our okay. best games of the year. I was a little worried that you might be bringing in and oh, saying no. like this is a no. This is you know might sneak in at a ten or something. No. Uh, the next two games in our list are Crackdown Three and Days Gone, which I'm going to roll into one here and say that the interesting thing about these games is not the games, but the business surrounding them, which is that Crackdown Three is a Game Pass game which means it's just included as part of my subscription, so I get to engage with it and have fun. And Days Gone was a 
full retail game, which makes it sting a little more that it is so rote and redundant and mm. does absolutely nothing new. But Crackdown 3 is... Crackdown 3 is more Crackdown. It's a fun game. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, the thing I'm going to say about Crackdown 3 is uh, it made me realize how much I hate uh, open world design these days. The fact that you get to a place and get into a mission and have the cutscene and then play something because Crackdown doesn't have any of that. You can just like... You don't have you don't even have to open the map and look where you where you want to go. You just pick the next spot where there's an activity and it plays seamlessly. And it makes it for a very boring game because it's just like side quest activity copy and paste on a full open world map. But it makes that um I'm not always menuing all the time when I'm playing an open world and I feel like open world games should learn from that. That being said, it's not a great game at all. But as a podcast game it it's a, it's a hundred percent just a podcast game yeah. um, because like you just go around and you feel yourself getting stronger and that's it. Yeah, uh, Days Gone. I'll I'll add almost nothing just to say that um, it's a game that that feels like it never found a reason to exist. Like maybe there was a bit of tech and then they couldn't find a story to wrap around it properly. It's clearly designed with the intention of being a prestige Sony game, and it it never quite hits that mark. It needs a little bit of a. You know how like a Nintendo game, sometimes like they go back into the cooker and then you feel them come out the other end and go like, oh, okay, now this looks like something. It needed that. It needed right. that extra year of development or whatever to find the special magic in it. Uh, Devil May Cry 5. Would you argue for that one? Uh, I will not. I, I had a great time with Devil May Cry 5. Okay. Uh, I laughed a lot. I had a really fun time actually going through the motions of it. Um, you know, we, we've had these conversations before, particularly around something like a Bayonetta 2, where I, I think that this is a, a genre of game which is very fun and has a really hard time elevating itself into a, you know, a game of the year type game for me. Um, I love their emo character in this game, though. He basically, he's, he looks like, um, oh, I can't remember the actor's name. I just want to say Kylo Ren. Uh, Adam Driver. Adam Driver. It looks like Adam Driver and occasionally like he's going to break out into a screamo band thing and he re his main mechanic is that you can power him up by reading poetry while his devil birds fight for him and i actually had a really fun time with devil may cry in general of using the xbox elite controller and just sort of having five buttons that i was pressing at a time and i'd be holding the controller upside down and clicking like it was like a real claw um claw handle i would have on the controller and i just had a really good time going through the motions of it Okay, I, I did play a little bit of it, but it didn't have the visual pizzazz of um, Bayonetta, which made it kind of boring for me. I like I've heard a lot of people say that it's the best fighting system they made in a long time, which probably it is, but uh, it didn't grab me. Maybe because I don't engage that much with the complexities of those fighting systems, it didn't grab me. This is true. I also I was S ranking a lot of fights in that game and feeling like really I did. Oh, I'm not I'm not working too hard at this. Um, one small note I have here is lots of small touches, like Dante's goggles in Devil Mode when using motorcycle. And it made me remember that the motorcycle is a weapon in that game, and he right. breaks the motorcycle in half and starts swinging it around. That's it's, cool. It's very cool. Uh, all right, the next game on our list is Death Stranding by Kojima Productions. And I think yeah. this is one of the best games of the year. Yeah. So we'll talk about it later. Uh, right underneath that is a game called Devotion by Red Candle Games, which I also think is one of the best games of the year. Okay, and I I'm... do agree with that. Tell me about Dicey Dungeon by Terry Kavanaugh. Dicey Dungeon is a new game by Terry Kavanaugh that you might know from uh, probably top five of the decade Super Hexagon game. <laughs> uh... <laughs> 
I really like what Terry Cavanaugh does. I really like Super Hexagon. I really like VVVVVV. This game is him trying to maybe do something a little different, and it's a roguelike card game that's also played with dice. Obviously, you can understand that by the title. It's very similar to a Slay the Spire, um, though there's a little more randomness because you involve the dice in the gameplay. And I really like it. I would really love that game if Slay the Spire didn't exist. Uh, my first impression with it was, oh, this is a good interpretation of Slay the Spire, but Slay the Spire is better. I feel a lot of the issue I have with that game is, uh, unlike Slay the Spire, it's impossible to predict what the enemy are going to do in that game. Like, you don't know how the enemy are going to play, so you cannot play in a reactive manner, so you end up uh, trying to optimize your turn every turn the same way because there's one perfect turn you can do every every time so it makes it it gets repetitive uh, more quickly than the spire and doesn't have as much depth I, I, th- I think that is exactly the issue with this game yeah. is that every turn feels like you're doing the exact same thing because yeah. you sort of figure out what what is the best route with this character and there's very little room for um yeah, for experimentation. Yeah, it's still, it's still like a really good game. I think the art is good. There's a new game plus that is really well made. And like all the personality around it's very good. The music is great. It's just like if Slay the Spire didn't exist, I would probably have played a lot of it. But yeah. yeah. And I, I agree. The art is tremendous in it. It actually is, made me really excited. And then I just kind of fell off it because I was in the thrall of Slay the Spire this year, unlike you last year. And uh, the next game is The Division 2. I don't have much to talk about. Uh, it's more Division. It's as insulting as The Division was always. This game is politically uh, more than problematic. Like, it shouldn't exist, I, I say. Uh, but past that, it's a loot shooter with some tactical element in it. It's okay fun. All right. Yeah, I, I'll I'll always have our memory of playing the Division One and laughing at the writing of it. That was <laughs> that was a that was a high multiplayer moment. Uh, after that, we have Disco Elysium, which is a game we're going to talk about later. That's right. Let's save it. Uh, a little game I put there called Don't Wake the Night uh, is a small game about a tribe trying to make a complicated decision with one of their god, and you're basically playing the god and making a decision for them at the end. It's a simple point and click. Uh, on itch.io it's interesting one of the most interesting itch.io game I played this year that being said um, it feels like something that should be created in a full game it doesn't work uh, very well as a small game I would also say the production value in it are very amateurish which can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on where you come from it's okay. I just wanted to call it out because it's one of the best modish game I played this year. But it's not special. Like uh, everything's going to be okay. Cool. I, I'd still be interested to try that. Uh, after that, we have East Shade, which I will definitely say needs to move on to our greater discussion later on. I agree. What about Jedi Star? Sorry, let me. I'm going to say the full title as it needs to be said. What about Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order? From Respawn Entertainment. Two game Respawn this year. It's impressive. Yeah. I really like I really like that game. Uh, hey, well, hold on, I, hold on. Is it something we need to save no. for a greater discussion? No. Okay. No. Uh, I really like uh, that game. I was surprised at how much the set pieces were great. I was surprised at how creative they got with their world sometimes, even though they start out as just like the forest world and the, the 
red well the red planet is kind of shitty though that being said like it's very inspired like it's a game that takes part of other game and try to create a frankenstein monster game like it doesn't have one original id for itself and um it doesn't do like the combat is secure but it's not as good the platforming is prince of persia and the exploration is method uh, and I really like how it integrated all those elements and all the, as I said, all the set pieces were great, but I don't think it's, like, Control is just well made, but, like, it never uh, gets better than those inspiration. And one last thing is that game's kind of broken on Xbox I played. What was your? I had one bug where I literally got locked out of a puzzle, and I had no, I couldn't figure it out. I was like, "What am I doing wrong?" And then I eventually, after looking around for easily twenty minutes, fell through the floor, and I was like, "Oh, the game is bugged." And then I loaded it back up, and I just all of a sudden there were there were ropes in places that were yeah. no ropes before, and I just yeah, a lot of that, uh, a lot of texture not loading, but the texture are rope for gameplay element, and they don't load either. Or you cannot see them, but they're there if you jump or whatever. Uh, a lot of uh, it was very laggy on the regular Xbox. I feel also like they wanted to be a secure game where the rhythm of the block are very important, but because the frame rate is always like going crazy between 15 frames a second and 30 frames a second, like the the timing of the block is super hard to get. Uh, which yeah, is I, I never quite got it. I never no, quite never got quite the got counting. It. There's a bus later in the end that like is the block boss that just attacks like crazy and you see people like blocking him like all the time uh, quickly on the internet and I never managed to fight him that way. Uh, it's weirdly difficult in a way some triple or not. It wasn't that hard. Like it's not as hard as a Sekiro, but it's more difficult than it feels like it should be. All, I agree with every single thing you've said. I still thought this game was excellent. I had such a fun time yeah, with this game. Like, I feel stupid about criticizing how buggy it is because it's obvious that it's going to get patched out eventually. And that game on PC in a year will be a super great game. Also, I don't want to blame the developer. It's obvious that EA wanted the game to be out before. They the, needed to get this movie out before the movie. And before the movie and all that stuff. And that game with six months... I feel even the combat not feeling as great as a Sekiro, I feel maybe it's just some polish lacking. I feel like they could get it there. And the really great moment in that game I really love. Like The um, the other thing I, I want to add is that you um, you talked about all of the games that it borrowed, like it being a Frankenstein monster that it borrows from and it takes from Prince of Persia, it takes from all these games. You know what none of those games have? None of those games have a, the option to let you use a pink lightsaber. <laughs> right, I do, obviously. My dude at the end when he was... I don't remember. I can't even tell you what the character's name is, but when he was there and he had nothing but pink robes on, yeah. pink Star Wars Jedi robes and a pink lightsaber, I had such a good time. Uh, one thing I want to say about the game that I really love, uh, I'm surprised at how much they were willing, and maybe that's why the game is so buggy too, but uh, how much they were willing to do one-off with stuff. Like, at the end of the game, like you can choose the color of your... When your lightsaber break and you can like recreate your lightsaber and choose the color and all the stuff. It's not stuff I was expecting from that game because like you have the mechanics, the game showed you the mechanic in the first 15 minutes and they're gonna reuse those mechanics for two hours, but that game, uh, for 20 hours, but that game is like willing to have a little one-off set piece where you climb on a, a what's those robot? Like the at Yeah, the at yeah, Like it's willing to have like one-off mechanics like this that create like super cool set pieces it, well and, that specifically that bounty hunter thing is very out of nowhere yeah. where you all of a sudden you and you get captured by bounty hunters and then you end up in a 
like a rock and roll yeah. coliseum bounty hunter fight and that game has more good content than you expect like it's 20 hours but again i didn't like the, the last planet but i feel like most of the content is really good and doesn't feel like yeah. filler and all those surprises also don't feel like filler and a couple of boss fights that i really enjoyed the boss yeah. fight on the top of the on the one on the top of the tree at yeah. the end of the grass planet like i had a great fight there all that scene all that scene is really cool yeah. like with the bird is it's really cool yeah i i I really do like that game. I would like to commend them for making a great movie. Well, it's not a tie-in, but still. Yeah. Like, it's the only really good Star Wars game we got from that EA Star Wars. Uh, the, the last thing I'll add, and it's such a small thing, but I like that it's a it takes a lot of influence from a Metroidvania, but the, the only thing you get in Treasure Chest is aesthetic collectibles. Yeah. I, I know that some people are going to be so bummed out by yeah, that. Yeah, I was bummed out by that. But it means that... It means that you are doing the collectibles for their own reward. Because yeah. if you like the way you look, then that's it. it I don't know. It, it felt so antithetical to what most AAA games would do, which would make you, oh, you get a little bit of XP or you get some currency or you get a whatever. This was just, no, you're doing it because they're fun and you might get a cool trinket for your lightsaber. But it did, it, it did feel like it was them not having time to fill them with something interesting. Maybe, like, but did, for this it one... It like a mistake <laughs> and I want to point out that the underwater chests don't have an animation of works at all, which like just proved that the game la is lacking polish. I also need to commend them because I feel we got a lot of space travel games this year. I'm thinking Borderlands 3, this and uh, other worlds. And I do feel from the bigger, the the AAA one is the one that gets the, the Mass Effect style of space travel the best like because you are in the ship and the ship is evolving with you and you're gonna meet like the, the the relation to the character are gonna evolve but you also see like when you're traveling it's not just a screen that changed like you see all the, the lift off and all that stuff and it's really cool and something that i felt would have made I, i'm we're gonna talk about that one later but like it's stuff that felt missing from uh, other worlds uh, that would have made that game way better. Yeah, a sense of scale. It's a pretty tangible. A sense of scale and yeah. travel. Like. Uh, we are going to argue about Fire Emblem Three Houses. We are. Okay. Fire Emblem Three Houses going on to our list. Talk to me about Forager. Uh, Forager is... Um, it's hard to talk about that game. So it's basically a clicker, um, an idle game. Like It's basically a mix between an idle game and uh, a Stardew Valley and... It's just it's a game that tap in this uh, all those those you know the upgrades and having better equipment and then making more money and having crazy number and you make three millions a second and all that stuff. It's a very simple top down farming simulator, but like not really just about farming and you farm your thing and you get stronger really quickly and the the fun thing about it i don't think it's a great game but the fun thing about it is just it, it gets really crazy at the end where you have like 20 robots that help you farm and like all the numbers are billion big and uh, like you have um, a shovel but instead of just like picking one doing one hole in the ground when you use your shovel it does like a whole five by five hole so like you it just gets very impressive how much like bullshit is happening on the screen but essentially you're playing an old game with a lot of numbers and there's like small puzzle and small like zelda like dungeon but they're never like that interesting that it makes for real gameplay it's a paid idol game that is okay huh that's not what i was expecting you to say about this game at all interesting it's not great it's the kind of game you're gonna buy and have a really 
I don't know, really big weekend with it and be very Alpha Rogers, the most addicting game ever. And then when you're going to be done after your 10 hours, you're going to look at it and be, what just, what did I, I hate just that do? feeling when you're done yeah. with a game that just exhausts your energy, that yeah. just like wastes a bunch of time and you end it and you're, yeah, I'm not, I haven't played Forager. I'm just saying I can, I can already feel myself having this feeling and how much I resent games that do that to me. But like, it's well made and it's cute and it has personality. I don't want to blame the, 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 the dev for exploiting my lizard brain, yeah, but yeah. it's still that. Uh, I also don't know about this uh, this next game. Uh, Gato Roboto is a small uh, developer published uh, Metroidvania game. I also don't understand why you would play that game other uh, instead of any other Metroidvania on the market, except that it's cheap and it's kind of cute, but like it's really by the numbers and has nothing interesting to add to the formula. Um, it's a quick, I think it's four or five hours, so like... There's the interest. It's that it's short and yeah, you can actually play for it. it's short, it's quick, it plays well, it's cute. But it doesn't stay with you. Like You're going to forget about the game in a year. Hmm. All right. Next on our list is Gears 5, the um, sixth Gears of War game. <laughs> <laughs> Gears 5 is great. It's a ton of fun. I think it's super well designed. Uh, I think that the some of the set pieces in this game in the moments where the Frankly, for la- like, I wouldn't even say the visuals. Where the graphics of Gears Five pop off are staggering and impressive. I think it has one of the. I think a lot of modern, specifically this generation, games from this gen have one of the things they've tried to do is have these big war moments where war looks really impressive, and there's so many fights going on that you can't actually process the amount of detail. There are some moments in this game that I think actually work, where all of a sudden I was overwhelmed by the death and misery of combat, and I. Yeah. Thought it was no, I, I know, but I mean, you know, I thought it was impressive. Okay, almost like a like, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna dig my trench on this, almost like a Broadway play where you can't look everywhere at once, like where there's so many people dancing and so many pretty action scenes happening at once that you don't know where to put your eyes. And this is spe- specifically in the fifth act act of the game, other than some really awful bosses. Uh, I think the game is just super fun and good and people should play it i don't really like gears 5 the way you do i think it's fine but i'd rather play control Ooh, no Ooh. i would definitely rather play gears 5 uh i do think the game looks incredible i played it on the pc uh everything maxed in and that game looks very incredible what pissed me off about gears 5 is that it feels that sometimes they wanted to make a prestige game and you're gonna have big part of the game where there's no fighting and it's just like conversation and they kind of suck like i don't want to like the gears and universe is not that interesting and i don't care about that stuff and uh there's two acts that are open world content and it also kind of sucks like i don't understand why they have to be open world i'd rather play gears 4 than gears 5 i could go either way on both of them i think they're both very good yeah. games I, I don't think but, i would necessarily pick one or the other i also don't love the open world stuff i think I had an okay time with it at the moment, but now that it is done, I think I prefer the linear... Yeah, I prefer the linear stuff. And uh, one last thing, I had a lot of issues with the AI partner in this game. You played it called a co-op, so obviously you didn't get that. But maybe, like like Star Wars, maybe it's just bug and it's unfair to uh, take the developer to test for it. But I had a lot of bug with my co-op partner, which made the game way more difficult than it should have been for me. Yeah, that seems totally positive. That sounds like a very fair criticism. Uh, one thing I'll say works really well in the co-op sections um, 
it's the smallest little thing but uh, there's a lot of points in the game where Kate has a vision. So Kate is seeing something that the other characters are not. Right. So whoever is the co-op partner is seeing different stuff on screen than the other person. Oh, that's cool, though. Uh, yeah, it was really neat. And I, I used to, you know, Anna and I played it together and I would play it up. So every time something would go on, I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I can't, you know, and I'm like freaking out to it. And I would just be like, oh, no, it was nothing. Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. It wasn't not a thing. Uh, like there's the scene early on where I don't know how you experienced it, but there's a scene where she starts um, her mind starts hopping into the body of uh, Locust. Yeah, well, so, you do that. Okay, so that's you, it. So you, I was doing that, and Anna was not. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that that's cool. Yeah, it, it was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else I wanted to add? I'm going to flip through. Oh, the I was actually really at, mad at the ending of this game because I think the ending of the game is very effective emotionally, like narratively, and they make it a choice, and it reinforced the idea that I hate... I, I think I hate choices that actually impact narrative in video games. I think I'm completely done with them. Uh, at the end of this game, you get to make a choice between who lives and who dies. And I think that the... So you're choosing between um, basically either your best friend or Marcus Phoenix, the protagonist of the whole series, his son. And you get to choose who dies. And I think that the version of this story where Marcus, this grizzled war veteran, loses everyone in the world around him, including his son, is actually really potent and affecting and emotional and interesting. And the fact that they now need to account for this choice in mm. a Gear 6 means that one of these endings is either going to be scrapped or rendered moot. And that rubs me the wrong way and it makes me frustrated. Yeah. Because I think it's the first time they've done something like really potent with their narrative. And yeah. I'm sad. Uh, next on our list is Grindstone by Capybara Games. Grindstone is the quintessential phone game. Like, it's every phone game you ever played, it's one of those... It's very addicting. It's very mindless in a way. Like it's just, it asks just enough from your brain to be interesting because like it's a small puzzle game and you need to think about your next move, but you don't need to think that much about your next move. So I don't know. I really liked it in the moment. I don't care about it more than this. It's, it's fun. I, I like um, the experience of putting on a television show that you've already seen and playing grindstone right like something about having the simpsons on and playing grindstone and you were experiencing true like the eclipse of abnegation like your whole the whole world has become numb to you momentarily like the art's very good the the song design is very good and all that stuff but it's yeah yeah so i played this year a little bit more than a little bit of harry potter wizards unite which house are you uh so i actually i am technically on the pottermore I am a Gryffindor. Okay. Gryffindor is the worst fucking house, everybody. Gryffindor, what a stupid thing. You get, so Slytherin, they're very powerful. Yeah. Ravenclaw, they're very smart. Hufflepuff, they're very, what the fuck is bravery? Bravery is the, I don't want to be brave if I have to choose between power, happiness, and intelligence. Yeah, bravery is stupid. Bravery is the worst. Anyway, I'm, so I'm Gryffindor. Okay. This game, I think, is miserable. Okay. I think this is a terrible game. (laughs) Uh, And I'm actually, and we're going to get into this more later, but I think one of the worst uh, things about Harry Potter Wizards Unite, which is a mobile game in the vein of Pokemon Go, uh, is that Harry Potter Wizards Unite is impacting Pokemon Go. Oh, that's right. So the big issue with Harry Potter is that, or with Wizards Unite, is that there is way too much game. One of the great things about a game like Pokemon Go is that you, it's very passive. So you're experiencing the world, you're walking around, and you are turning landmarks into, into objects you can interact with in the real world. And, you know, you can say whatever you will about that, but I think it's actually interesting on paper. 
but Harry Potter, you'll get to a landmark and then you need to engage with the game. So you need to stand still for 10 minutes and play this game. And the game is not interesting enough to do battles and do combat and actually... Like, there were a lot of days in the summer I was like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do some stuff. And then I go on a walk and I'm like, I'm not actually walking because I'm playing this this game every time I get to a spot. I still found Harry, um, not Harry Potter. I still found Pokemon to be too much. Pogo- the difference is that Pokemon is a game you can play with one hand. You could not play Harry Potter with one hand. Yeah, but It's a had, two-handed game. You had to throw the, the Pokeball. Yeah, you can kind of flick it with your thumb. And... Yeah, I hated that. <laughs> um, I want a clicker. That works. Is this basically what Pokemon Go is, though? No, but, like, you have to interact with stuff. Like, I just want to walk 30 minutes and then have a bunch of upgrade and take a minute to upgrade my stuff and then walk. That's fair. That's very fair. Uh, we will... This is a little, like, foreshadowing for later on. I uninstalled Pokemon Go a month ago for a very specific reason. Okay. And we'll get into that a little later. It's okay. a little seed for for soon after. The next game on our list is Heaven's Vault, and I think it's definitely worth considering. Obviously. Uh, Heave Ho by Le Cartel Studio is a game that you and I played together. It is yeah. a basic, for all intents and purposes, it's a side-scrolling physics-based party game. Yeah. Uh, in it, you play a little bonhomme with two arms, and you have to fling yourself and grab onto objects to progress from left to right on the screen. And you can fart. And you can fart. Farting is a big part of it. I actually think it is, it's fairly funny and um, feels okay when you're playing except that because this is a game that is meant to be played multiplayer and it is on the Nintendo Switch, you are by necessity often using the Joy-Cons, and the Joy-Cons are the most miserable way to play any video game. Yeah, yeah, they are, but there's something nice about like giving the Joy-Con with somebody else in your family and like looking at them and being, that controller is fucking shit, and having to play a party game with them. Um, but this game requires a lot of use of the L button and the yeah. R button. Yeah. And it hurts to play yeah, very quickly. Part, it hurts. It's part of the game. I'm, what I'm saying is there's a $400 version of Heave Ho where everybody has a pro controller that's kind of fun. Um, I like Heave Ho. I think it's processed for about 10 minutes. And then I don't care about it. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I have nothing more to say about Heave Ho. So yeah. let's move on to Hypnospace Outlaw by Tendershoot. Uh, did you play this game? I didn't. Okay. Uh, Hypnospace Outlaw is a 90s cyberpunk game where you are exploring a fake version of the internet. Uh, There's a little bit of character intrigue in it, but ultimately the core of the game is you just reading and engaging with web pages, which are built around like a very 90s GeoCity Web 2.1 on the precipice of Web 2.0. It's quite good. I think the beginning of it is particularly strong because you are... When you're sort of learning about the world, there's a lot of tutorial videos which are super funny and the voiceover is good and it has a lot of that really cruddy, um, like, 1995 3D animation. Right. Uh, Like, imagine if you were booting up a, um, like, an AOL DVD and you put it in your computer and then all of a sudden it started playing some 3D animation and the bitrate was terrible and, and all that stuff. Like, it's very devoted to that aesthetic and I think that stuff's really impressive. Even Even things like what you have to double click on and when is like oh you you nailed this like this feels so good the big problem with the game is is frankly that like the i think the game game part of it is a bit much you're playing someone who is ostensibly like law enforcement on the internet so you're looking for copyright infringements or illegal sales or anyway whatever might be a policy issue for the platform and I think it's cute once or twice, and then that's kind of the whole game. And at some point, they give you free free reign, and they say like, "Okay, like 
look around for infractions. And in, and in a lot of cases, it's like, oh, well, I've already been to so many of these web pages and like I didn't see anything the first time. And you go look again and you eventually poke around and you find stuff. I, I ended up finishing it. But a lot of the cute stuff, like you kind of get the gist of it really quickly and then the game sort of goes on. Like early on, you find someone who's just using cute characters and then you erase their characters from the web page and they get angry later on. There's a guy called Zane who has like this 90s edgy new metal page and it's all it, it's very funny it's very of a time and a place and anyone who experienced this is going to smile and smirk at it that's it yeah it was just basically that by the time it was done i was a little bit exhausted with what was in there yeah i was surprised at how much it came and went uh because i expected that game to be something we would argue in the top 10 a lot but i feel a lot of people had the same experience you have is that it's very impressive at first oh well they recreate shitty internet but then it just didn't stick the landing. It didn't know how to evolve from that, I feel. Yeah. Well, I haven't played it. I also played... I didn't finish, but I played a good chunk of Indivisible by Lab Zero Games. Have you played this at all? No. You should check this out at some point if you end up having um, having some spare time. It is a side-scrolling JRPG. Uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate this. What's really interesting about it is that you, in like almost a Chrono Cross fashion, get a zillion different characters, and you can switch between them. You can have four characters in your party at once, and you can constantly switch their abilities. And when you get into a fight, every face button corresponds to a different character, so it's basically Valkyria Chronicles. And you can, or is it Valkyria Chronicles? Valkyria Profile is the name of the old game. It's a Square Enix game. Anyway, uh, every face button is a different character, so you're kind of waiting for cooldowns to pop off, and you're comboing with these different characters so you'll have someone who you can like choose to have someone heal or do an attack so this is the thing it's very complicated because not only is every face button a different character but every arrow or every direction you push with the joystick is a different move so you're trying to memorize and there's a ton of character yeah you're trying to memorize what each character can do what their abilities are and then how you might synergize and like so you'll have your big heavy hitter like power up, power up, power up, and then your small person run in and hit, and then your magic person buff you, and then you'll kind of like set yourself up for an all-out attack. Um, And sometimes you'll have to hit someone up into the air with a move in order to, you know, break their defenses, and it's really cool. Um, The big problem with the game is that there are platforming sections, which are miserable, and take away your health, and you can die and have to repeat them. Right. But even the writing is the writing is pretty okay, too. Like, it's it's anime, it's like anime roteness, but Mm. it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it. I, I think I only fell off it because... Other games happened. A, other games happened. I think it was mid-October, and then Outer Worlds came out, and then Death Stranding came out, and it right. pushed it away. The next game we have is... It's winter, and I think we're going to argue more about it. All right, yeah. Um, oh, that's exciting. I'm excited that It's Winter is making it to our bigger discussion. After that, we have Jenny LeClue. I was very excited for Jenny LeClue, and I didn't like it very much. It is overproduced. Okay. It's um, it is a game where you play a young detective, like a little, uh, it's you know, a small, uh, a young girl who is doing detective work, and most of the game ends up playing like a, almost like a, a children's television show because there's so much direction and there's so much zooming in, and I think that it's spoofing those, like it's doing a pastiche of that genre of like young nancy drew even like younger than nancy drew uh, like babysitter club maybe is a better example and it's spoofing them but then it's just kind of doing it so it's very long-winded and you're like yeah i get it it's cute and Mm -hmm. and then it just never moves on and never evolves i didn't play enough to say if maybe that all disappears after the first two hours or something 
but I hit a point where I was like, I just can't, I just can't anymore. I can't, right. um, I can't keep going because the writing is not the writing is made to be accessible by anyone, which is a you know a triumph in its own right. But that doesn't doesn't make me want to play it. Right. Uh, that's it. Moving on to kids. We're gonna argue about that one too. Ah, uh, ki- oh, Olivier, thank you so much for bringing the bringing the great games here. The weird one. Uh, I also would like to argue about kind words, lo-fi chill beats to write to. <laughs> That's a great title. like that title. So I need to ask you, do you think Kingdom Hearts 3 is a game we're going to argue about later? I don't think that Kingdom Hearts 3 <laughs> is a game that we're going to argue about later. Kingdom Hearts 3 is actually pretty gosh darn disappointing. Or, sorry, pretty gosh darn disappointing. So obviously this is a game that has been... I, I remember finishing Kingdom Hearts 2. I think I, I think I was in high school expecting Kingdom Hearts 3 to come out. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 is combat, and even Kingdom Hearts 2 combat is all very mashy. The biggest issue with this game is that you're exploring different Disney worlds, and that part's all lovely, but the writing is excruciating, and I'm sure if I went back and played the originals, it would also be excruciating. But excruciating to the point where early in this game i was like oh it's time to skip cutscenes. like i cannot i cannot sit here and listen to this but that's actually what the bulk of the proper gameplay feels like the first world you go into you are you're in hercules world and one of the mechanics is that you can kind of dash into pillars or dash onto walls and you'll be able to spin back and do like a big animation this game is all about the prettiness of the fighting less than the actual complexity or intensity of the fighting and i was expecting that every world would have different systems like that but where in kingdom hearts 3's Hercules world, you dash into a column and then you spin around it. You get to the next world and it's a pole and then you dash into the pole right. and you spin around the pole and the next world. So it's it's a lot of it's very samey front to back. And even the even the way that the architecture of the levels is designed, it feels very old fashioned. Like the the levels feel like a series of design tools where you're drawing a arc into this area or you're drawing a bunch of boxes and plopping things around the levels. It's it's kind of a shame I I couldn't, all I wanted to do was get to the frozen world, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't get there. I, I had to give up. Oh, so you gave up before getting the frozen I didn't get world. there. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. That's disappointing. The next game we have on our list is Legend of Zelda, A Link's Awakening, which I'm not going to argue for a top 10 because it feels too much like a remake, I'd say. We have another remake on the list, which is more different than the original, I think. Link's Awakening is a great Zelda game. I think it's not the best game if you want to go into... It's not the best game if you like the dungeon of a Zelda game, but it's a more wistful... I mean, Zelda's already fantasy, but fairy tale like type of Zelda game, and I do think it's a really strong one of those. But again, I'm not going to keep it this year because um, it's an old game. I didn't. I still haven't fired up this remaster and I planned to before, like in the 2020 start of the year, but then I didn't finish Death Stranding and I would way rather play Death Stranding. Yeah, so. obviously. <laughs> uh, the next game is Life is Strange 2. We're going to argue about that one. Agreed. Luigi Mansion 3. Did you play? I played the first hour of it. Okay. Uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 is uh, another Luigi's Mansion. It's very, very cute. Uh, if you like Luigi, which I do because he's a scaredy cat like I am. I expected to like this game more because I expected it to be a Resident Evil type house that you can explore without actually being scared. It's more of a level-based take on Luigi's Mansion, which uh, disappointed me because 
I don't know. Uh, they, 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 they simplify the exploration of those games because I feel they got a lot of criticism after the second one was too big for kids to understand, I guess. And uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 works as a level-based take on that and it's fun, but like it, the gameplay itself is never that interesting. And because the level are very small, it doesn't, uh, the exploration itself is not that fun either. So I got a little disappointed with it. I will say I was very impressed with those opening cutscenes. Yeah. In a way that I'd never, I don't think I've ever felt that way about a Super Mario universe mm. type thing. Like I was actually pretty engaged with the, the cartoonish nature of the characters and the way that they they set up their their premise. It's like very animated. There's a whole lot more going on right. than Nintendo typically but, does. But the charm is all there. Like uh, it's really charming and every boss is... Uh, like Luigi, it's not a bunch of can animation that makes Luigi react uh, always the same way. Like there's a lot of cutscene where you see Luigi being scared in fun and interesting ways, and all that is super fun. The next game on our list is Manifold Garden, which is a surreal puzzle game that has you bending space and time to solve puzzles. Um, the whole aesthetic of the game is. It's very abstract, but basically everything is white with a few colored cubes in this 3D space that you walk around. And as an example of something you might do is you might click a button and then you're walking on a wall or you're walking on a ceiling. Uh, did you play this? No. No. Okay. What is very impressive about Manifold Garden is that there are moments of, to use a VR term, there are moments of presence where you walk into a space and it feels vast and huge and infinite. And that stuff is all very affecting. As a big fan of the cube movies i really liked the cubes in it <laughs> and specifically i like the cubes and i reference the cube movies because it is you are basically in an abstract space with infinite repeating um, structures around you right. which might be cubes or pillars and when you fall off of something you just kind of fall until you hit another space so it feels very vast i don't think i like the puzzles in the game okay i think that they're it is not like an antechamber. Like, it's not that you are poking at things and cool stuff is happening. They're very deliberate puzzles and you have to really think about the space. Right. But they are, they're they're clever, but they don't, there doesn't feel like there's a consistent logic to how you might solve the puzzles. Okay. So, like, one of them is you you flip something upside down and then you have to kind of create a staircase using, using cubes to, and then flip yourself back up and then create the staircase, which is, it's a good idea for a puzzle, but I, I, I don't know how you were rationally supposed to get there without just kind of like beating your head against things. And mm. uh, and I found it kind of frustrating for that. One thing I do have here in my notes is that there is an achievement for finishing the first area, which is called Witness a Laser, which is cute because it's the witness. Mm -hmm. Definitely appreciates good games. Did you finish it? No, no, I, oh, no. I didn't okay. finish it. No. Uh, next on our list is Man of Medan, The Dark Pictures. This is super massive from the, ma the makers of Until Dawn and their new game. We played this together. Yeah, we played this together. It's funny hearing about this game uh, because maybe it's better to play multiplayer online. Like what they did with the online multiplayer sounds amazing, but we haven't played it that way. We played it uh, couch multiplayer and it was a fun experience, though I feel it lacks a little polish at the end. Uh, a polish that uh, Until Dawn did have, so it's weird that this one doesn't. Yeah, and, and that's it. It's, it's a very fun thing. It's a script it's basically you are playing through a movie together um i think by virtue of it being becoming an anthology series it's easy to disregard their lack of polish or something yeah. like you just sort of look at it and go oh, okay this is great and that's it like you're not yeah. it doesn't have the baggage of say a telltale game where you go 
ooh, I got to play four more episodes that feel like this. It sort of feels like you can play them at your leisure and you're not going to forget anything. And that uh, sort of excuses some of those quibbles. I will also say that's the probably the funniest jump scare of the year we had. Uh, we had uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. If it's you fun. like dumb jump scare, uh, this game is filled to the brim with them. And that's great. Next on our list is Metro Exodus. That game didn't grab me at all. How far did you get? Close to the end of the first open area. Oh, okay. Oh, that was it. Okay, I, I got into the second major area. Okay. I, I really don't like this game at all. Yeah. I think it's largely rote in its themes and its presentation. Like, it's one of the first things, one of the first people you encounter in the open space is a religious cult. And you go like, oh, are they going to be evil? Yeah. yeah, they're evil. Guess what? Surprise. Guess what? I hate the open world design of this game. Yeah. I like the idea. I like the road trip idea of that game of just like stopping at certain spot and having a semi-open world. Like I do, I do like the road trip game, and uh, sometimes it makes me more um, forgiving to game like this. I would think Final Fantasy Fifteen is a game I'm very forgiving about. I forgive too much about uh, this one. Didn't grab me at all though. And uh, the only thing I'm gonna say is on PC that game looks incredible. This and Gears Five are probably the two most impressive game I played on my new PC this year but like it's very boring it, and it's disappointing because like you always felt that a Metro game were a little too um, they were very niche but they were really successful at doing their niche thing and this one you see them trying to be more mainstream and then not being good enough to get in the mainstream market but not being niche enough anymore to get that part yeah, of it. Yeah I, I have enjoyed every Metro game less like every subsequent game I've, yeah. been, I've had less fun with. i think that first metro game i still think it's excellent yeah it's great uh you should buy a remake and play that thing instead yeah yeah okay the next game is mini motorway um we're gonna talk like just quickly about it it's a sequel to uh, mini metros which is a cool distillation of um like the the simplicity push and pull mechanics made in a very small mobile game that is very easy to understand. I like I like those games a lot com- conceptually. I think it, they're a smart idea. I do feel the at the end they devolve into being point based game, and I don't like I don't like replaying those games to get a better score. So it's the kind of game I'm gonna play once and think the idea behind it is very smart, but never play again. Yeah, no. I, I feel the same way. Although I do enjoy them while I'm going through them. Mutazione is our next game, and that is definitely coming yep. with us. After that, we have Neocab, which I don't think you played. No, I haven't. Uh, so Neocab by Chance Agency is actually very good, and you should play it yeah. when you have the opportunity. It's a cyberpunk visual novel about a woman named uh, Lena, who is ostensibly the world's last human Uber driver. Right. Uh, and so she's arriving in a very tech-literate city and taking people on their voyages uh, she's there to meet and like a, a friend that she's fought, had a falling out with, and there's a little bit of there's something strange going on with her friend, and so you're trying to parse together the mystery of her friend, uh, all the while as a player parsing out the mystery of the world and sort of what's going on and what what the political ramifications of robotizing robotic roboticizing everything would be. Right. Uh, you also have you are given very early on a I can't remember if it's a bracelet or a necklace, but you're given something which. Uh, like a, basically a mood ring which shows everyone around you what your emotion is and it's sort of this it's playing on this cyberpunk idea of like what happens if everyone can read can like kind of google you on the spot is yeah. what what the feeling is uh, and the writing is pretty good i really enjoyed the story i had a really good time going through it i think that considering how serious the subject matter is it's maybe a little bit too upbeat 
but then at the same time i don't i didn't want to play the dark and gloomy version of neocab i want to play the sort of happier okay. happier fun take uh yeah i really enjoyed it it's a good game okay yeah will you are you for observation in the top i won't although i really like observation okay i think it changed you know no i won't argue observation yeah i won't either i really like the presentation of that game but i didn't like the game itself so observation is a game where you play basically the ai on a spaceship uh where things went wrong and as the ai you try to parse what is happening uh with the help of uh, the only human left alive on the ship i don't remember there's that many or something um the presentation in that game is incredible the gameplay itself ends up being you understanding how the AI work and finding how the system of the AI works. And it's fine. It, it feels kind of silly because as the player that is the AI, you should know that by default. And sometimes you're just wrestling with system and like the, 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 the game's not clear about what it wants most of the time. So it's very easy to get lost. And the other thing I'm complaining about is very quickly so the game is set up that you're like just looking at the world by camera. So it has this cool phone footage uh, camera look to it. But that being said, uh, very quickly, they give you a little floating sphere that you can play as, which kind of make the idea of having this non-physical thing in the world being what you play. It, it loses all of that because you basically become a character in the world. And that pissed me off so and much. And it controls very badly. And yeah. It's very frustrating. But, but like just conceptually, it pissed me off. So even the fact that it controls badly, like it, it's just them throwing their concept out of the window, like really annoyed me. I think I might just be a sucker for this story. Yeah. Like this scenario... And, like, it's the same story. You've seen that story a thousand of times in yeah. science fiction, but it's, it's really well told. Like, even when the twists are exactly what you expect, they're well... It's a very fun yeah, story. Yeah. They're, they're well made. Uh, and uh, one last thing I'm going to say is that the intro credits in that game are kind of amazing. Agreed, yeah. Yeah. Next up is Over the Alps by Stave Studios, which is a... This has got to be what people mean by narrative building blocks. Yeah. It's a visual novel. It's it's kind of terrifying how good the writing is when you know that you're sort of like mixing and matching narrative components. It's yeah. a scary look at the future where things can be automated and where you can procedurally generate story. Uh, it's very good. It's a yeah. it, it feels a lot like shit. I can't remember the name of the game, so never mind. Okay, yeah, it's not a game I'm gonna argue about in the top ten, but like I was really impressed by the quality of the writing, and it's just very funny. Uh, it's. I felt like I was role-playing a shitty James Bond is how I went into that game. And, like, you know, it goes... It uses all of those cliches, but just because you interact with them and you decide how they go, like, it just ended up being a real fun game to read through. It's very impressive how it will roll with the punches. Like, you'll go up to the obviously evil person and then act like Inspector Clouseau instead of James Bond. And yeah. then the game will be like, you're dumb, but then the story kind of keeps rolling and they will respond yeah. to your dumb decision making and it's very cute and impressive after that we have outer wilds which is unquestionably yeah a game for discussion later on and after that we have the other worlds which is the new rpg from obsidian entertainment an rpg i had a lot of um i don't know i was expecting this game to be real good and i was very disappointed by it uh, a lot of it is because it's a simpler take on a fallout game 
which Obsidian obviously did with uh, Fallout New Vegas. But in simplifying that concept, they made a game that is that feels very restrictive. It's more polished than Fallout. It's not going to break in every in, like. It's not going to break the way a Bethesda game is always breaking. That being said, it feels like when you do a side quest and they're going to give you three options, like you need to go by with a script and you cannot do stupid stuff that you're going to do in those RPG. And I feel like by losing that, you lose everything that's worth talking about in those RPG. It just becomes a very stiff world with nothing else to do that you haven't done in other game and like um, the Bioware RPG had more cinematic flair behind them and stuff like that and this game doesn't have that so it feels just very soulless. That's a shame. I, I played very little of it. I played the very beginning and then life happened and I didn't get to play more although I will admit that I I was really enjoying it up until I got a side quest and then once I got a side quest I was like oh fuck you. Yeah. I don't want to follow your quest marker. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It becomes a quest marker following thing and it just feels soulless. I, I was talking about with the Jedi Fallen Order, I was talking about the the feeling of space exploration and this game has zero of that. Like the ship is just another loading screen. Might as well be another loading screen where you're gonna talk with your friend, but like you're never gonna feel like you're going from world to world. It's just like a bunch of loading screen stitching a world together and it just feels like very stiff. It's a, it's a shame. Yeah. Pathologic 2 is a game I'd like to discuss later on. Obviously, sure. I haven't played Photographs. Photographs is a mobile game by 88 Games. Uh, it is basically a... It feels like a Tales from the Crypt Keeper dark story... Okay. Uh, dark story told... You know, you're, Anyway, I'm not articulating myself well, but it's a series of stories which all have a surprising twist that's a little bit more negative and black mirror-y than you would expect okay um a lot of them revolve around young people learning how to become adults in the world uh one the first one maybe not the first one the second one is you are a olympic swimmer and your partners start taking steroids and you need to come to terms with that and you know do you want to engage with it uh, every single different narrative has a different gameplay mechanic and uh there it's very interesting to see the way they choose to manifest their stories um they're all a little bit too long for their own good because you'll be doing the same type of like pachinko game or yeah. whatever else along the way yeah anyway it, it, it's neat but i i didn't love it okay tell uh, me about the next game uh the next game we have is piku piku niku which is a very simple uh, physics-based platformer where you're going around the world you're uh, like a, a little cute uh red blob with uh, two uh, very physics-y legs and you're just going around the world and you can talk to people and you can kick people and you can wear funny hat. It's a cute, nice game. It's very inspired by, um, I forget the name, but the creator of uh, Katamari Damacy and that kind of humor where, you know, everything's a little too silly and silly stuff happens all the time. Like one of the hats you can have is a pen and when you have the pen hat, you can like, by just moving your head around you can like write on stuff and do stuff it's very cute it's very fun but i feel i don't know it's like there's maybe too much gameplay to it like i just want the joke i just want the exploration of the world and the funny stuff happening and i don't want to go through like platforming section and it's never that funny either it's just like i i, I don't know it felt okay to me but i, I very unremarkable at the end of the day for that, we have A Plague Tale Innocence. So A Plague Tale Innocence is a 14th century 14th century story about a noble girl who is invaded by the English Empire and 
Uh, she needs to escape and take her brother to safety. And along the way, the plague breaks out. And she is forced to contend with that while trying to save her brother's life, who is very sick. This game is neat, and I really I, I wanted to like it more than I did. And in fact, I really enjoyed the first half of it, say. Mechanically, it's largely just a stealth game, but it has the beats of a prestige game. So it, start, it starts to feel as if it's building towards something really interesting. And then halfway through, you sort of it sort of loses that and starts to feel like it's going through the motions of a prestige game rather than having anything interesting to say. Like, it, it never quite justifies its own existence. Right. It also irks me that this... It seems like it's going to be a story with a lot of uh, political intrigue and ramifications and, intri- and interest. And then it ends up just being, no, 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 you you and your brother are at the center of the universe and you and you alone are the only people who could save the world from oh, really? damnation. It has a... Like, there's a Pope-esque character who shows up and he's also so evil because we can't trust religion. And the last boss fight ends up being you against this Pope figure with rats falling out of him because rats are so evil. And they bring the plague and you're dodging his rat ball meteors <laughs> that he's throwing at you. <laughs> and it's, uh, it, it, it re- I really turned on this game by the end, despite enjoying the beginning of it. Yeah, that sounds pretty uh, the, the tech is really nice, though. Yeah, like, the, the, the rats I, moving are cool. The rats look great, yeah. Yeah, that's about all I have on okay. this game. Okay, so Pokemon Sword and Shield is unquestionably the most angry I've ever been in a game. Oh, really? Or, or not ever, excuse me. Angry I've been in a game this year. Okay. So Pokemon Sword and Shield starts off, and it's fucking awesome. It's <laughs> so good at for the, the art and the visuals and the music, and it's so colorful and happy, and it looks amazing. And you're in a, um, it's based after the UK, this version of yeah. Pokemon Land. So it's just like breathtaking vistas and you walk out and there's a little sheep Pokemon and he walks up to you and makes sheep noises at you. And then there's the Pokemon wander around freely in this game. So you just see the game is so vibrant. And there's so much mm. life in the world. And you talk to some people. Then you find yourself in some random battles. And the battle system in Pokemon is insufferable. And I think I did two, maybe three fights and I rage quit. Because I was so mad at this game. And not only did I rage quit, but it made me question my past two years of Pokemon Go playing. And I uninstalled Pokemon Go after because I was so angry about the abnegation on display at the very beginning of this game. And the amount of time I felt like I'd wasted in my three one-minute fights. I don't understand the love for Pokemon. It's devastating. The world is so lovely. You would also, I'm sure you'd have the same experience. Yeah, no, I remember like... uh... I bought a DS for a 3DS for Pokemon X and Y, I think, uh, thinking like, oh, I would probably love those games. Like, I loved JRPG when I was younger. I played Red and Blue at the time and really liked them. And then, like, those games didn't change much. Like, they're exactly the same thing, and it's all about grinding to get better Pokemon. And, like, I don't understand why we excuse those games, whereas we don't excuse other grinding games. And... I kind of like some grinding game, but like Bravely Default has more going on there or, and that kind of stuff. I don't understand the love for Pokemon, except that they're fucking cute. Like, they're so cute. I always see like that sheep you were talking about. I was I, I want to play with that sheep and like put him on a little hat on the sheep, but then the interaction you have with those little cute critters are like the most soulless JRPG combat system in the world. I just want to walk through the world. I just want them to strip the combat out. Whole. Yeah. I want to play a version of the game with no fighting. Same game. I just walk around and I can talk to people. But it's what made me excited for the last one they did. The, the Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. But like it just changed for that shitty throwing Pokeball mechanic. Still fighting I, though. Yeah. Which is as yeah. bad. Anyway, that's oh, it. Whatever. 
another good one after we have Rage 2 from Avalanche Studio and like I forgot the Bioware game already Anthem Anthem yes like an Anthem Rage 2 is a game I cannot understand what they were thinking what was the um, audience they were trying to get with it because like it feels like an halfway step between 2016 Doom where the combat is a little more dynamic than most shooter on the market but it's not it's not as good as Doom, but then, like, as a, a quick uh, quick thinking, uh, regenerating out shooter like a Modern Warfare, it's not as good as those either. So it ends up being halfway between those two and having no personality of its own. And it's just a very boring game. Yeah, I bounced off this. I played it as well and just couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around the... I also finished that game. I don't understand why. Podcasts. Yeah. Podcasts are great, turns out. Podcasts are really fun, and sometimes you just want to do something and listen to a podcast. Yeah. Okay, the next game we have, I feel uh, I feel it's a little unfair, from Remnant from the Ashes. How much I hated the game because I only played two hours, and it's the game this year that everybody, maybe with Death Stranding, it's the game this year that everybody's saying, you need to play 15 hours before that game gets good or whatever. Supposedly, the first world of that game is bad, but uh, I played two hours and didn't understand what was the praise about. The first part of that game is a very boring, procedurally generated Dark Souls game with guns that don't feel that great. And you're fighting shitty, boring enemy that spawn from everywhere. And uh, the world looks gray and shitty. And I just thought that game was mindless and bad, but a lot of people like it. Uh, so I probably didn't get it, but I'm not inclined to try again. I never had a chance to try it. Okay. I take your word for it, though. Okay. Uh, next up is Resident Evil 2, the 2019 version. I would love to save this for later discussion. Okay. Uh, just a little note. Uh, I feel Resident Evil 2 does um, qualify while Zelda doesn't because it's more... It's not just a HD remake. Like, it changes the mechanic the, of the game. Like I'm going to repeat this when we get into it, but the thing about Resident Evil 2 is that it's the only video game remake that exists. And the reason for that is that cinema's been remaking movies for decades, but when cinema remakes a movie, they don't, they don't just take the first movie and then shot for shot remake it unless you are I mean, Psycho or The Lion King. Those are the two examples of shot-for-shot shot remakes I can think of, but for the most part, if you look at a Dawn of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead remake is excellent. It's a completely different movie. Yeah. Um, Resident Evil 2 is a completely different game. Yeah, it's just it. using the, the foundation. But like Capcom made something like 20 remakes in the last three years or something, so maybe one of those was going to be special. Yeah. I would like to see more video games, which are... I'd like to see them use the marketing... Of a re- of remaking a beloved game and just completely scrapping everything in the I middle. I mean, we're of it. gonna have Final Fantasy VII in two months. Bring it on! Yeah. The next game on our list is Ring Fit Adventure. I think this game is excellent. It's really good. Excellent. Uh, I really like Ring Fit Adventure, and from all the the video game as exercise that existed, I think it's the best one. I do think it has a ton of very obvious failure that just piss me off and that are very Nintendo-like. So I'm thinking about the fact that when you're fighting enemies, sometimes they're going to have just a little sliver of health left and to kill them, you will have to do a thing. But after one rep of your exercise, the enemy is going to be dead and the game's going to stop there. Like I feel the game should 
there's definitely there's a different version of this game that I want. There are tweaks I would make that yeah. feel incredibly personal. Like what you're what you're describing is a is a case of that. Like sometimes I feel like I'm doing too much of one exercise move yeah, to fight a specific yeah. monster. And the other time you feel that you don't do enough of a yeah. certain move. Like it, it it feels like the game is um a little uh it makes your workout not as perfect as it should be in a way. Like it's just stuff like I remember some some of the exercises you're gonna start always on the right side and then finish on the left side but because sometime on the right side you're going to kill me you're not going to do your left side so it ends up that you're making more exercise on the right side and a little too much text in the um, there's that no there's way more than a little too much yeah. there's way too much downtime for when exercise is about getting your heart rate up in a lot of yeah. cases so sometimes my heart rate was going all the way back down just talking to you people. need to have those time where you can because sometimes i was pissed off at the real game and would just do the you like it's not that big of an issue because at the end of the day you can just do the exercise themselves without having to play the game but like just doing the exercise themselves back to back made me like very uh exhausted in a way the the real game didn't because i felt like oh i can do those i do those when i do the adventure mode but then i would just do them back to back to back and I would just like feel a little queasy after. It it is legitimately exhausting yeah. and intense, uh, and I love it for that. Yeah. Uh, just one last thing I'm gonna say: when you do the plank, and the little fucker tells you there's ten left, just ten more to go, and it's not just ten more to go. Like <laughs> fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. Oh God, it pisses me off that little ring buddy, whatever. Whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, next up we have Sayonara Wild Hearts, which is definitely uh, in my consideration yes. of the best games of the year. After that, we have Sea of Solitude by Joe May Games. This is published by EA. This game is, so it's about a young woman dealing with her own anxieties, um, in some cases depression, in some cases loss, in some cases all the myriad of issues that indie games in this vein will deal with. And I don't want to diminish the importance or the impact uh, that games like this can have for some people and the impact games like this have had on me. There's a lot of indie games that base- that, re- that are very um, weighted that have had tremendous impact on me. But I think that this game is very rote uh, in a frustrating way. Uh, I think that this... I think it's pretty shocking that... All this time later, we're still making games about big, scary monsters that symbolize depression. I can't. I can't anymore. Like, Gris and this. I can't, like, stop doing game about depression where it's a big, scary monster that you fight and you finish fighting. Like, the only good thing that does that is probably the Babadook or something. Because at the end of the movie... Okay, spoilers for movie two. But at the end of the <laughs> movies, like the Babadook's not dead. It's still that monster that lives in the basement and she still needs to kind of feed him. And that's that's the only metaphor we need about depression. Like, I can't do games. If you want to do a game about depression, like, I can't know about it. Just do a game like set in today where you, you're somebody living with depression. Like, you don't have to have a big scary monster. I can't do that anymore. And whatever. It, it pisses me off, really. Yeah, I... I have a I have one note here from when I played it. There there's a jump scare very early on where a monster just very suddenly unfurls and screams you worthless piece of shit. And that's very startling and effective. It's very on the nose, but as a as a jump scare where someone is basically just like condemning you like that, I it, it did hit me. I think the actual design of the monster in this game as someone who has I don't know how to pronounce it pronounce this, but like thalassophobia, who's like afraid of things from the ocean and the mm-hmm. expanse of it, I found it pretty impacting. However, there are moments in this game, like I think 
three quarters in where you have uh, your brother tells you that he wants to kill kill himself and then you respond with a funny dog meme talking to your boyfriend and like it's so like oh look at the mistakes I've made and just on the nose and this like hor- this character that they introduced this young woman she would never do this because mm. no there's no other scene in this game that makes you think ah oh, she might respond to her brother with a funny dog meme like it's it's so it's such a serious subject for them to be so ham-fisted about and so right. like unnuanced uh, and it it's frustrating it's it's ethics 101 in the least interesting way and it's dealing with the most serious subjects right yeah anyway i, I don't like this game and then we have Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which I would like to save for further discussion. Of course. What about a short hike? I'm not going to save. Uh, I really like uh, So a short hike is a little, like it's a small slice. I would say it's a small slice of an open world, a little like a, a Zelda Breath of the Wild, and where you uh, play as a little bird that's trying to get on the top of a mountain, and uh, you want to catch little upgrade to your flight ability so you can get higher and you talk to people and they're nice and they're cute i really like the vibe of that game it's a very short game that i finished in an hour and a half maybe and i really like the vibe of it and just it's the exploration of a zelda game detailed in a an hour or two hour experience it it felt like it, it was missing a little something to me. Like it felt like it, the, the personality wasn't right there. It was just too, a little too toothless. Uh, there's a, like it ends that you understand that you were trying to th- get to the top of the mountain because you had reception for yourself on there because you wanted to talk to your mom, which had an operation or is going to have an operation. I don't remember exactly. And you just wanted to tell her that you love her. And I thought it was really cute, but I felt it. It just ended on that note, and that note wasn't there in the whole game itself. I felt like it. the personality is very cute, but it felt just cute and needed a little more wistfulness or like uh, melancholia behind it for me to really catch to it, really like it. Yeah, I don't have anything more to add than that. I think, um, you know, it has a couple moments that struck me as Animal Crossing-esque, and I appreciate that. I think we need more Animal Crossing in video games. Obviously. But yeah, I, I also didn't... Uh... It, it didn't leave a lasting impression on me other than me just enjoying it our next game is sky children of the light by that game company before i jump into anything else i need to preface that uh, i think that their previous game journey is if not the best game of the decade then then the best game of all time <laughs> Uh, it's... We talked about that last year. I was Dude. like, yeah, we did. And I was like, nah, not the best game of the decade, maybe top 10 of the decade or something. Uh, anyway, I, I think Journey is... I don't I don't have the hyperbole ready for how important I think the video game Journey is. And uh, I think that Sky Children of Light is um, monumentally disappointing. What it is basically is Journey the platform. Uh, this game is is a Destiny-esque hub space with journey levels attached to it. What it's trying to do is teach positivity through emotions. And the hubris of the fact that they think they can teach positivity through emotions and then also have microtransactions attached to those is infuriating and devastating. Uh, I think also the medium is the message and using a mobile device, like a using an iPhone as your vehicle for that, is doubly toxic and sickening and upsetting. This game is very beautiful and very lovely, and it has a lot of the elements of Journey. There's a there's a possibility that when this game comes on consoles, I might end up just loving it and adoring it. 
it, it made me sick to my stomach, this game, when I was that, playing it. That's crazy to hear, though. That's it. Yeah, those are my thoughts on this game. Okay. Next up, we have this spot is reserved for Slay of the Spire, game of the year 2018 through 2020. I can't stop playing Slay of the Spire. I have 100 <laughs> plus hours on Slay of the Spire, and I'm so sorry that last year I did not... Slay of the Spire might be right underneath Red Dead Redemption for us last year had I had played enough of it. This game is so good. I just wanted to play the Slay of the Spire. I played it this morning. I should have been finishing Death Stranding and I couldn't help it. I need to do some Slay of the Spire. It's the best. What a good game. Thank you for bringing Slay of the Spire yeah, into my I, life. Yeah, I remember last year, the day before, uh, the day we did this, I had played two hours of Slay of the Spire in the morning, so I'm glad uh, you're in Slay of the Spire. They're releasing a fourth character soon and I'm going to fall into Slay of the Spire again. I uh, can't wait. Yeah. Oh, what a good game. Uh, next up, we have a Smile For Me, which um, is a very typical uh, adventure game. Uh, it's made by Gabe Lane and Hugo Limbo. I say typical because it is just a, it's a small uh, microcosm where you're walking around this space and interacting with a whole a strange cast of characters and finding items and trying to apply those items to the logic of their woe. The situation here is that you are basically in a cult where people have been invited to come and improve themselves so that when they leave they'll have a smile on their face and what you find out is that the people in here are i don't know i can't remember if they're being held against their will but there's definitely a vibe uh, there's a a asylum or prison-esque vibe inside of this space one of the interesting things that this game does and i think it's not successful at all is that you need to literally with the mouse shake your head yes and no to questions Uh, and it's very cute the first time you do it but every single time anyone would ask me a question i would sit there staring at them waiting for like what am i supposed to click and then i'd remember that you have to shake your head it's very cute though and often very funny one of the things that happens is that in the course of a day there is a there is a time to the day so like there's different times of the day and you need to you know you need to go to bed every night and your overseer will tell you, oh, bedtime's coming, you need to go to bed. And if you don't go to bed, you get punished. And the punishment is just that they show you very frightening FMV clips. <laughs> uh, and it'll just be something like a staircase like a staircase to a basement with all the lights off. And, a, and you just see a little bit of light on the stair. And it'll be like, there's nothing here. Don't worry but also don't look away. And you are just <laughs> expecting there to be this massive jump scare. And they do it over and over again. They're so affecting. Uh, it's priceless. That's great, though. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, there will also be little intros that are done with hand puppets. So a hand puppet will be talking to you saying, I get ready to smile today. It's got tons of personality. It really feels like a double fine game in that way. I really liked it. It's not, um, I didn't finish it in the end. I just ran out of time. Uh, and I don't think it's a game of the year thing, but I, I feel pretty strongly about it. It's a good game. It sounds like one of the games I should try to catch after yeah. after we do this. Uh, the next game we have is Snakebird Primer. It's not... Snakebird Primer is their answer at people saying Snakebird was too hard. So it's the exact same game as Snakebird was, but much easier. If you finish the original Snakebird, it's not worth going through. It took me something like two hours to finish all the level, maybe three hours, and like it felt like a cakewalk, really. That being said, I think Numenon games deserve uh, a lot of praise for Snakebird still, so Snakebird's Snakebird. great. <laughs> it's one of the best puzzle games on there, and I think I'm angry at how much it didn't get the recognition it deserves, so Snakebird's great. I think you're right to be angry. After that, we have Super Mario Maker 2, which uh, I say that we save. Uh, the game after we have is Superman, uh, which is uh, one of those games that got a lot of um, positive buzz that while playing it, I would understand, but also ask why this one. Uh, so it's a 
I would say it's a first-person Zelda game, basically. It's a first-person first where you play a little bottom in a, a kid's playground, basically, and you uh, play Zelda in this world where you interact with... The, there's going to be simple puzzles, simple uh, block-pushing puzzles and that kind of stuff, and you're going to get upgrades that give you uh, access to more places. That said, it feels very mechanical, and me saying that it's something happening in a kid's playground, you expect a lot of personality from that game that doesn't have much personality uh, really like the all the characters are like uh, blank space uh, blank face and whatever the, the the game doesn't have that much personality it looks good running in the game and it was made for by not that many people so it's very impressive and the, the puzzles are well made and the except like the combat's very bad but it's mostly puzzle and they're well made but like the game never uh, becomes more than its inspiration and it feels like a very mechanical take on those uh, where the world doesn't really make sense like you go around the world and you see oh that's a puzzle area that's a puzzle area it feels like you're going through a very discreet level and not uh, a full world so it didn't make a lasting impression on me but it has this uh, really addicting nature where the the, the, the the pace of it is really quick and every 30 minutes you're gonna get a new upgrade so like you i don't know it, it gets very addicting because you want to see what's the next mechanic they're gonna introduce and throw away but it only works on a mechanical level so it didn't grab me more than that it still sounds neat i'm it's neat i'm interested in it but i don't know that i have time for yeah it. yeah and it's well made like the the puzzle the, the puzzles are well made the next game we have here is Team World Quest End of Gilgamesh, which is also a RPG slash CCG game, a little like Sid Aspire, except that the structure here is not a roguelike, it's more like a JRPG, so you're going through cutscene and going through the world, and then when you go in a fight, you... Fight, uh, you do fight using CCG mechanics, and the problem that this create compared to um, Set Aspire is that you're always going to play with the same fucking deck. The best card, there's no incentive to try to work out a deck that's not that strong and uh, that kind of stuff. Like, uh, it can happen in Set Aspire, and also, like, the story is kind of boring. Like, it feels, when you see the, the, the bullet point on the back of the box, it feels like a bigger game than Spire, but at the end of the day, it feels much smaller because of it. Also, the fact that you can grind instead of, like, trying to get better at the game. Because it's made like a JRPG, you can, if you're stuck somewhere, instead of trying to get better, you can just grind. And it makes the, 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 the um, purity, I say, of the CCG game less interesting. Yeah, I have not played it. That's a... Uh... It's um, not Slay the Spire, no. so it's hard to play. Yeah. Uh, after that, we have Stillness of Wind. Did you play Stillness of Wind? I did play Stillness of Wind. I didn't finish it. Uh, I also didn't finish it. Uh, I think that there are things about this game I like quite a bit, in that you play a grandmother uh, tending to a farm, and every day there's a passage of time, and a mailman comes and delivers uh, letters from your relatives. And this is going to sound more damning based on what I said than it actually is. But I think that in in the same way that Sea of Solitude is sort of something that we've seen before and now appears wrote, I, I felt like Stillness of Wind was maybe overly tread territory without much new to say. Um, I think that it's something that like Tale of Tales had done with the Graveyard. And Graveyard is a game that's much shorter where you're just an old right. person sort of like waiting for the, waiting through the passage of time. I Conceptually, I think that game I really love. I really like the idea of you having to play a routine while the story happened, but the story itself never really grabbed me. 
even like I really like the idea of having a normal person story, which is not like being attacked by a big monster because you're depressive and whatever. I think the game has all the right ideas, but the delivery itself felt a little clunky sometimes. And like even the farming doesn't work very well, so like it's not not that it needs to be enjoyable. If you want to represent a routine, it doesn't need to be enjoyable, but like it feels there's something missing in this yeah. game, yeah. And the story itself it never got me. So the next game we have is Tangle Tower, which is very similar uh, in concept uh, to Genelo Clue. It feels like um, like it's a wood on it, but like a Scooby-Doo level wood on it in a way, where there's a murder in a tower where two family two family live after um, you know they were associated by weddings and whatever. And uh, you learn about the story of that family and uh, who murdered who for which reason and all that stuff. And it's it's. It's really good in that it's a fun story. The characters are really fun to go through. I say it's like a Scooby-Doo type who done it, but it's a little darker than that. Like it's more teenage level dark, I guess, uh, where it acts like it's a show for children, but then there's an underlying darkness there. That said, like who done it creates really interesting mechanic in game, but this is more like just a straight point and click, and even more, I would say, find the items. Like I find the items in that tableau kind of game. It's fun to go through. The the, the the mystery itself is not that interesting, but like it's fun to see all the characters interact. Well, all those characters are kind of silly, but I have all real problems and that kind of stuff. I liked it. I really liked it. I just don't think it's memorable. I'm very excited to play this game. And this is one that I will get to for sure. Uh, after that, we have Telling Lies, which uh, I think is worth saving for consideration yeah. later on. The next game we have is uh, Untitled Goose Game, which you didn't play. I did not. I did play that game, which became a meme. I think everybody knows about uh, Untitled Goose Game now because that game got popular in a very impressive way, in a way like I probably didn't expect. And it's a weird game. So it plays a little like a, a silly take on a Hitman game where you go into the routine of those people and they're on a loop doing what they do. So let's say you're going to be in a routine and in the routine of a gardener and he's going to always do the same uh, loop between all this flower and tend to his flower. And then you need to fuck that up by being a shitty goose to people. And it's just a really great joke. And they do enough with that joke that it doesn't become hold. So like the meme itself became hold really quickly, I feel. But like they do enough with that joke in that when you're in a bush, let's say there's just like your beak peeking out the bush and you can still honk to people where it's just a little beak. Or, or if you grab something like um, a glass of milk or something, when you're gonna honk, it's gonna reverberate in the, in the glass. And you know, they do enough with the joke for it to be cute, but. The gameplay is very perfunctory. It's not really fun to play. You're just there for the joke, and it's a good joke that lasts two hours. But you're going through the motion, and the gameplay itself is kind of too difficult sometimes for some random reason. And the objectives they give you are not. Most of them are super boring themselves. So you kind of need to do your own fun. But there's not that many interactive part that you can do whatever crazy idea you come uh, you think of unlike in a hitman game where you could say i'm gonna try to kill all my target with an axis and then like funny scenario happen in that game it feels like all this funny scenario have been scripted and you're gonna do them and they're gonna funny one they're gonna be funny once and then you're gonna forget about it it's a really good joke 
I'm a little bummed that this game uh, this success of it has because like I feel <laughs> oh, that's mean. Let them have no, 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 no. I'm happy for them, but I feel a lot of indie games are more interesting and creative than that. And I'm not saying it's you know they. they I know what you mean. They deserve to be played. They deserve a good success. What, what you're actually saying is you want every game to do well. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I, I really like the Dolgo's game, but like it's not. It's not a. It's not one of the best games of the year. No, like it. Like Octodad, it's very funny while you play it, and then that's it. Yeah. The next thing we have is Vectronom, which is a little uh, we haven't pl- we haven't talked about Canon Survival because we don't like that game that much, but it's a little bit of the same concept where uh, it's like a geometric platformer, but like everything moves to the beat of the music, so the platform are going to move to the beat of the music, and you can only move by, let's say tiles so you you play as a as a square and you can only move like one up up left right or down in 90 degree uh, increment like it's it doesn't have the, the, the analog feel of a super mean boy and i feel it's a much better take on this than the canon survival is because it doesn't have weird dumb mechanics that are left over from zelda or from rpgs it's just a straight platformer, a very pure kind of platformer, and I really like those, and I think it's really well made. It's not as great as, say, the best game of the decade, Super Hexagon, or like a Super Meat Boy, but like it's a really strong one, and I applaud them for it. And the music is cool. The way the level works is that when you finish a part of the level, they're going to add an instrument, and then it's going to be the same platform, but they're going to move in a different pattern. So it feels like... From the beginning of the level to the end of the level, you feel like you got the, the, the architecture of the level down and the music is very intense at that point. So it creates a cool uh, progression. Sounds good. Yeah. After that, we have Void Bastards by Blue Manchu Games. Void Bastards is a a sci-fi vintage comic book styled uh, shooter where you're exploring space, trying to collect resources and items to help you progress further in the roguelike light tree. You are, the whole thing is narrated by a posh British robot, which is obviously very endearing. It feels like Stanley Parable in that way. I actually had a pretty good time with the game. I, I liked it. I think the shooting is pretty good, and I think the, the general vibe of the game is quite strong. Ultimately, I don't think it's like a long-lasting experience. I had a good time going through it for a bit. You Every time you die, you start with a new uh, prisoner who has been vacuum-sealed, and you know sometimes your character will just be very short so you are always in a perpetual crouch um yeah that's largely it yeah i didn't it didn't grab me i bounced off really quickly uh partially because i felt the level design there are the, the the random level design was never interesting i feel like all the ship looked the same and i didn't want to repeat that content i think that's that's my trouble with it as well yeah uh and then we have watam uh let's argue about that one all right uh, you know what? Let's also argue about Wilmot's Warehouse. Yeah. And then our final game uh, for discussion at this point is What the Golf. I like What the Golf fine. It's an Apple Arcade game, which um, means that you're engaging with it on a subscription terms rather than paying uh, paying outright for it. It's ostensibly a WarioWare game with the aesthetic of golf. Yeah. So every time you start a new level, you're about to golf, and then something weird happens, and then you you know the gameplay changes. The first time that you see this happen is you're... You're taking a swing, and then you let go at full power, and instead of the ball launching, the guy launches. And it's pretty funny and uh, subversive in that way. It ends up doing small Mario Bros. Uh, homages and Angry Birds spoofs, and it's, um, 
it's cute. The The biggest problem with it is that it is too much game, and unlike a WarioWare, it doesn't kind of funnel the game into you. Yeah, the, the problem with What the Golf is that you actually have to play the joke when the punchline arrives. Like, when in the WarioWare, like, the, as soon as the punchline arrives, it's because you got to the end of the, the minigame and they're five seconds long. Whereas in this game, they can be 20, 30 seconds long, and sometimes they also have harder version of those of all and they're just boring to play because why like, if you got a joke once you don't want to play through them again it just become frustrating because some of the content is locked behind doing those harder level which i did do it's cute it's very funny for i don't know i felt it wasn't madcap enough for me like the rhythm was too low uh, too slow because you had to play too much of the game for it to be really funny yeah for me all right. Well, on that note, uh, we have now gone through all of the games that we played uh, in 2019 and put aside our very favorites for discussion. Uh, you know, around two hours. Yeah. Uh, so we will be back to get into uh, cutting the list down to 10 and then ranking it. Okay. See ya. <laughs>